0: Anna Elizabeth Young, the woman who tortured kids as part of a religious community in Florida. You may remember she was just arrested in Marietta for the death of a toddler named Moses. That was back in the 80s. This week, we were the first to talk to the sister of one of her victims and to one of her neighbors in Marietta. Today, we're hearing from one of the people who knows her best, Anna's daughter. In a captivating interview with 11 Alive's Christy Etheridge, Joy Fluker talks about seeing this torture firsthand.
1: Well, I lived through a lot of it. I was down there, so I knew about a lot of this before it came to light. A you witnessed of, it? I witnessed a lot of it, yes. I just have nightmares about the last time I saw Moses, Brother Moses, what we called him, and um, I knew in my heart he was dead.
0: Her mother was just arrested for Moses' murder, But Joy was barely a teenager when she remembers watching another young girl forced into what her mom called a punishment bath, a steel tub filled with abrasive chemicals. Why do you have such
2: intimate knowledge about the abuse Nikki suffered?
1: Because I was there for that, too. I remember hearing her scream. I remember dressing her wounds. I was made to help.
0: Do you think your mom understands the gravity of what she did? No,
1: She couldn't. If she understood the gravity gravity of it, (laughs) Um,
0: I don't think she could have lived with herself. She says her mom has mental illness. It runs in the family. Joy says her grandmother was in a mental institution, but her mom never got help. She immersed herself in religion
1: and thought she was doing what was right. It wasn't just children that got beat. Adults got beat too, just as equally. It's just that children, because their bodies were frail and smaller. They couldn't, you know, live through it.
0: Joy, how many people do you think your mother has killed, whether on purpose or not?
1: Well, I know for a fact three, and it's children. I have to take ownership of my part, not speaking up. Like you know something, but you don't want to know it. And so I didn't dig. And maybe that's my own selfishness. I didn't want to know
3: because I knew that if I crossed that bridge, it was a point of no return. The other baby that went missing from the house of prayer was Moses. And by multiple witness accounts, once her husband Jonah died, Anna Young had no interest in Moses anymore. Joy described Moses as her adopted brother, and his sudden disappearance had always been a mystery to her, at least on the surface. It does seem like she knew deep down, though, because once those memories began to surface, the floodgates blew wide open.
1: We were arguing over her undermining me and raising my my own children. Before I knew it, I blurted out, how can you tell me how to raise my children when you killed two children? And I had always had the the thought that she had killed Moses and had something to do with his death, but I wasn't sure of it. I didn't know even positively that he was even dead. I just felt it in my spirit, in my heart. You he went on the run, he wasn't there. She said he was with the monks. So I called law enforcement, told them the whole story, originally hoping maybe they could disprove all my thoughts like I told them everything to clean my my guilt whatever but at the same time in the back of my mind I was hoping they would really fine Moses and I knew they wouldn't but I was just hoping against hope I guess
3: this little boy was put in a basket and left to die in a closet What led to his death were repeated abuses that escalated after Anna's husband, Jonah, died. One member of the church said that he would stand outside Anna's door and hear her abusing the boy. But nobody saw much of the child because she kept him in there under a constant state of torture. This church member remembered hearing Moses crying and whimpering from that closet. He said that Anna was partial to beating the children on the bottoms of their feet so that nobody would see their bruises. Another church member who was given the name Magellan said that one of her chores was to clean Mother Anna's room. And one day she walked in without knocking and what she saw horrified her. Mother Anna was holding Moses' head under the water in a small tub. When she allowed the child's head up from under the water, He screamed and cried and gasped for air. Magellan said she witnessed this kind of behavior a few times until one day Mother Anna announced to the group that Moses was gone and he wouldn't be back. This same member described escaping one day. She said that Mother Anna had left Sister Lois in charge of her with a specific order to beat her every day while Mother Anna was out of town. The two women were about the same age, and she was able to convince Sister Lois to let her leave. She said Sister Lois even bought her a bus ticket to Chicago. She left and never spoke to anyone about the cult again until she saw the press coverage once Anna was arrested. According to law enforcement, that was a pattern with people who left the cult. They would never speak of it with anyone once they were able to get away, which means there are likely many more victims of abuse out there who have never spoken up about what they saw and heard and endured in that old house in Micanopi, Florida. Secrets and shame. There was no shortage of either at the house of prayer. Because of all the names being changed at the house of prayer, and a lot of what happened as far as the adoption and how he came to be there in the first place wasn't done legally, police had quite a time tracing the nexus of the little boy that we'll call Moses, and how he came to be at the house of prayer for all people. The Chicago PD tracked down and interviewed a witness, a former Chicago police officer no less, and he was able to help. He had a personal affiliation with the case. In the late 1980s, his wife began associating with Anna Young, a woman he described as having formed a religious cult-type church in Chicago at an address that was only a few houses down from where the Davidsons lived when Kathy went missing. He said that that house down the street from where the Davisons lived had all sorts of religious quotes painted on the exterior siding and the roof of the house. He said that as his wife became more and more immersed in the cult, she started pulling away from her own family. One day he came home from work and found that his house had become occupied by 20 church members, and from that day on they never left. His wife kept trying to get him to join the church and this put a strain on their marriage. Not long after this, he came home from work one day, and his house was cleaned out. Everything, including his furniture and station wagon, were gone. His wife had taken his son with her, but left their 12-year-old daughter. Months would go by before he found out his wife and son were on a church compound in Micanopy, Florida. His daughter was allowed to visit, but around 1990, his wife returned home and they began repairing their marriage. It was after she returned that his wife expressed concerns about a little boy that she had taken with her to the house of prayer to live on the compound with them. The child's name, she said, was Moses. All the man knew about the child was that he was the grandson of a woman that he had known when he lived elsewhere in the area years before. With the little information that police were able to glean from this man and his daughter, They began trying to trace Moses back to his birth family. Eventually, they were able to ascertain the name of Moses' birth mother. They found her incarcerated in Arizona on a 13-year sentence for child abuse from 2009. They would eventually track down Moses' grandmother. She said that her daughter was not responsible and had given birth in April of 1986. Sometime after this birth, a woman, the wife of the officer, asked if she could adopt the baby. This adoption, however, did not occur through legal channels. The grandmother said that the woman was allowed to take the baby, but in a short time disappeared from town altogether, and she had heard that she had left her husband after cleaning out their bank accounts and taking all his furniture. Remember, this is an alleged group of churchgoers who are robbing a family member of his belongings, money, and vehicle. Another suggestion that this wasn't really a church, so much as a grift. Anna Young really had no use for little Moses while he was alive, except as her personal whipping post. But she was certainly happy to receive Social Security benefits in his name. She drew his benefits until the date that he would have reached the age of 18, long after he was gone. Long after she knew he was dead. Long after she killed him. Within 20 days of her husband Jonah dying, Anna applied for Moses' birth certificate, even though she wasn't legally his parent, so that she could apply for survivor benefits. According to cult members, Anna instructed a fire to be lit to dispose of the little boy's corpse. Moses' body was put in a burn barrel and destroyed, along with all of his belongings. In 1992, when Sister Lois escaped the cult, she began cooperating with police, despite the fact that her brother, brother Thomas, and her father, Elder Adam, were still there. Sister Lois told the story of Moses to police, and they sent an investigator to question Mother Anna about him. At that time, Anna Young looked directly at investigators and said that she didn't know any child named Moses, and had no knowledge of anyone with that name ever being there. It was shortly after that that Mother Anna went on the run.
2: A sister's horror brought to the surface after learning a woman who forced her 12-year-old sibling to bathe in chemicals is now accused of killing a toddler in the late 80s. Police say Anna Elizabeth Young ran a religious boarding school in Florida where she tortured children. She was convicted in 2001 for causing that 12-year-old girl in the bath to suffer third-degree burns. After receiving a tip, investigators now believe she may have abused countless others with murder charges now filed in the toddler's case. With warrants out for her arrest, Young was taken into custody late last week at a Marietta home adorned with religious signs. Tonight, Faith Abube shares the exclusive interview with the sister of the girl who was burned, describing the terror that continues to haunt this family.
0: Words can't explain how I feel about her. I wish I could put her in a basement and every time I think about her abusing kids, I will go down there and just abuse her in some type of way. And she may look like a good person or she may talk as if she's a God-fearing person, but don't let that fool you.
4: When Anna Elizabeth Young's mugshot popped up on the TV screen after she was arrested last week, Jerry Hill couldn't believe it. I kind of got
0: weak at the knees. My heart started beating real fast.
4: Last time Jerry and her family saw this face, Young was headed to prison for the pain and agony she caused
0: Jerry's sister, Nikki. She was a very outgoing person. She was a sweet person.
4: She died two years ago from diabetes. For 25 years, she suffered from scars after Young burned her in a chemical bath.
0: They were just speechless when they saw my sister laying there and had been burnt the way that she was.
4: Jerry says young had tried to hide it telling her parents they couldn't visit their daughter in boarding school.
0: My understanding happened a week prior so Anna tried to treat it herself and give her home treatments and, and try and heal the process. but I guess when it didn't heal and it wasn't getting any better then that's when she con- that's when she just had to let my mom know what happened because of her burns being so severe, she had to learn how to walk again.
3: The parents of this victim, and her name is Nikki, told police that their daughter stayed at the House of Prayer from January of 91 to February of 92. Initially, they say they met staff at the House of Prayer at a revival meeting. They said that their daughter wasn't attending school regularly and she was getting bad grades, and that appears to be the reason that they left her at the house of prayer in the first place. They had no suspicions of abuse and they thought she was doing well. Around January 12th of 1992, the parents say they received a call from Elder Adam, who told them their daughter had had an accident and received some burns. Prior to this, no one at the church had called the parents, they said, about any other incidents, and they visited her regularly, about once a month. When they arrived at the House of Prayer after they got the call from Elder Adam, they found their daughter upstairs in a bedroom, with her legs wrapped in torn bed sheets that had been soaked in herbal products. They were told that Mother Anna Young had given their daughter Nikki a bath, and she would be okay in about two weeks. Anna told them that she had consulted with a doctor who had prescribed Scott's herbal products. So the parents were under the impression that the doctor had seen the child. But finally, Anna told them that, no, she had not called the doctor to look at Nikki and her burns, because if she did, the doctor would call police. Now this alone tells us that Anna knew full well what she had done was criminal, and by not allowing the doctor to see the child, she was making a concerted effort to avoid criminal charges due to her actions. Nikki's parents told police that, once they arrived, Anna Young would not even allow them to spend the whole day with their child. Eventually, they would be forced to leave, but they would go back and forth from the House of Prayer to their home in South Carolina, and when they left, they would leave Nikki's grandmother with her. She would beg to go home with them every time they left, but they said they couldn't take her home at that time because they felt that she was too ill to be transported, which is why they left her there in her grandmother's care until she could heal enough to be transported. She was unable to feed herself, Sometimes she was tied to the bedposts so she wouldn't scratch her injuries. She told her parents that there were some days that she was tied to the bedposts all day. When church members were questioned, they said that they felt Nikki had to be tied down whenever they had to leave the house to take one of the elder members to the doctor. When her mother asked how she was able to go to the bathroom, Nikki said that she used a bedpan. Elder Adam told the parents not to make Anna upset and when their daughter was well enough just to get her out of that house. Sometime around mid-March, Nikki was taken home to South Carolina. At the point that she left the house of prayer, Nikki was so bad, she could not walk, and she was using crutches. When she arrived, her feet started bleeding, and then she was taken to a doctor. Mother Anna had tried to intimidate her parents from calling the authorities, warning them that if they did, they would be arrested for neglect. Once she got safely back home, she opened up to her parents and told them about being hit with a stick as punishment while out the house of prayer. It was then that Nikki's parents finally relented, and they called law enforcement. When the investigator asked her parents why they hadn't taken Nikki directly to a medical facility when they arrived home, her mother said that the injuries appeared to be healing at first, but it does sound like Anna got to them and they were scared to seek medical attention. The police came to take her statement and Nikki told them all, finally, what she had endured. It was a day like any other day. The plan was to take one of the elder members of the church to the doctor. As they all gathered to leave, Mother Anna sniffed and looked at Nikki. I can imagine her scowling face as she shook her head telling Nikki that she would not be joining them on the outing because she smelled bad. Poor hygiene displeases God, Mother Anna said, and Nikki would be punished for that. The girl was locked in Brother Thomas's cabin on the property while they were gone, which was essentially a shed-like outbuilding. When the group returned, Nikki was taken into the bathroom in the main house. Five buckets of hot water had been prepared to place in an oblong metal tub. Nikki watched mother Anna dump about half a box of Ultra Tide into the water, which Anna had described to police as simply a handful. Police would later deduce that the blue and white powder described by Nikki was actually Ultra Tide with bleach. Nikki slowly removed her clothing and tentatively put one foot in and then quickly jumped out. "It's too hot," she told them. If Sister Priscilla and I can stand it, you can too, Mother Anna said. And if you don't, I'm getting Brother Timothy. Horrified at the idea of her bringing in a man while she was undressed, Nikki got back in, but again jumped back out, begging them to put in more cold water. She couldn't bear the stinging heat. This repeated several more times, with Mother Anna demanding that she get in the tub, and Nikki trying, but unable to withstand the temperature, Eventually, Brother Timothy was summoned by Anna to hold the girl down in the scalding water. Nikki described grabbing for some type of clothing to cover her chest. Let go of me, Nikki screamed at Brother Timothy. Nikki wasn't sure who, but someone grabbed a stick and smacked her hand with it. It took both Sister Priscilla and Brother Timothy to hold Nikki below the scalding water as Mother Anna scrubbed her body. Look at her foot, Sister Priscilla said, getting Anna's attention. The skin was peeling off. They pulled Nikki out of the water and showered her off with cold water. Bumps were rising all over her legs. Nikki got dizzy and she fell. Her private area was burning and it hurt really badly. To that, Mother Anna said, maybe it'll burn some of the evil out of you. Nikki tried to eat an orange and then get some sleep, but she remembers being awakened in the night and moved from the bed to the floor because her blisters were bursting and soiling the bed that she had been sharing with another church member. God forbid someone else should be discomforted by the bodily discharges of a girl who had just been tortured. The next day, creams were mixed and applied to Nikki's legs and thighs. It was at this point that Mother Anna had to remove Nikki's toenails. She was moved to the couch after that. It was around this time that her parents were called, but Mother Anna told them not to come. Is something wrong, they had asked. Mother Anna's response, Satan is always busy. God, you know what? That pisses me off when people use God or Satan or any other thing as an excuse for their own actions. Because if there was anything in this scenario that resembled a devil, it was the woman scrubbing a child who was being held in a cauldron of steaming hot bleach water. That sure sounds a lot like something the devil himself would do. When they arrived, Mother Anna apologized to Nikki's parents. I didn't know that would happen was all she could muster as an excuse for torturing the girl. She promised to take care of Nikki's injuries. They wanted their daughter to see a doctor, but Mother Anna told them if a doctor came out to the house, they would have to make a child abuse report, and she would be taken from her parents. Anna suggested that they all pray about it. So for the next six weeks, the parents or Nikki's grandmother stayed with her, and by March, they felt she was able to be moved. Once she got home, they took her to a clinic, and then she was transferred from there to a burn center. When the investigator asked Nikki about other forms of punishment that she had received at the House of Prayer, she told him she'd been whipped with a stick for things like a messy book bag or dirty clothes. Nikki said that she never told her parents what was happening because she was so afraid of what Mother Anna would do after they left. She went on to tell them that she had been locked in the shed outside on more than one occasion, and so had the woman whom Mother Anna had taken to the doctor that day, the elderly woman. Nikki said that Mother Anna told everyone that Sister Priscilla was possessed by the devil, and Nikki once witnessed her being beaten and thrown against the wall. When the investigator went back to question Mother Anna, she admitted to putting Ultra Tide and Pick and Save bubble bath into the water, but she denied putting anything else, She said the girl had a hygiene problem and she had simply bathed her. She admitted to doing it to shame Nikki into being better with hygiene practices. That girl has one of those all-day attitudes, she told police. When they asked her to explain what that meant, she said it was someone who liked to take their own good time. What she essentially meant was that she had a hard time controlling the girl and we all know how much Anna needed to be in control. Anna admitted to tying Nikki to the bed so she wouldn't scratch at her sores, but she said they only did it when no one else was available to watch her, despite the fact that Nikki told them that sometimes she was left like that for days. Anna said she had even given Nikki range of motion exercises to do and that she'd been walking when she left the house of prayer, which we all know was not true because she had crutches to get out of that house. And what comes to my mind as I think of Anna giving the girl range of motion exercises, this girl that has severe burns on her legs? Is Anna forcing the girl to move her painful, burned limbs so that she can enjoy and watch the girl suffer? I get the distinct impression, based on how many people that she abused, that Anna got some sort of pleasure from causing pain in others. Then the investigator questioned Anna as to why she wouldn't let Nikki's parents into the room with her except for limited amounts of time when they were there. And she said that they babied her and she needed to learn to do things for herself. And then Anna started to cry and told the investigator she would never purposely hurt a child. Investigators then questioned others in the house, but for the most part, they gave very little information or they backed up what Mother Anna said they all appeared reluctant to talk. The investigator was unable to speak with two of Mother Anna's daughters at the time who would have been there and probably witnessed much of what had occurred in the house because they had been sent back to Chicago. A few months later, as the investigation continued, Children's Services returned to the House of Prayer with Detective Mike Lentz and Officer Stuart Parrish. They wanted to nail Anna down on her version of events. During this questioning, the investigator asked her if she had ever made the statement, maybe it will burn some of the evil out of you. Mother Anna said that she had not. What about Satan is always busy? To this, Mother Anna replied that she indeed may have said that, because it's a part of their teaching. A familiar saying, in fact. Mother Anna always referred to this incident of torture on a spiritual level. There's a handwritten note in the police report that was sent home with Nikki when she left. It reads as follows Blessed Lord Jesus is the Lord God that healeth thee. Believe and obey. Schedule for medicinal and therapeutic exercises and supplies, methods and procedures. The following list begins with the title Ingredients Prayer and Faith Cloth or Gauze, Peroxide, Hazel Astringents, Aloe Vera Gel, Golden Seal, Vitamin E. Or pure cocoa butter, Echinacea Golden Seal combination. Clean feet and legs daily, morning or night, with peroxide diluted half with water. Pat dry with a soft cloth and apply swelling lotion, known as hazel astringent. Rub in softly. Wait a few minutes. Praise the great I am. Then apply the Vera gel with a small amount of Golden Seal mixed in. Spread liberally over burn area. Sprinkle golden seal all over and wrap with a wet cloth or gauze and hazel astringent. Wet well and then wrap. After first wrapping, repeat again with dry wrap until the area is covered with dry cloth. Repeat the same procedure with the second leg. Oil the rest of the healed burned area with vitamin E or pure cocoa butter. Give tonic in the morning and evening of 1 teaspoon golden seal stirred in 1 cup of hot water. Take twice daily with 1 capsule of vitamin E and one capsule of Echinacea-Golden Seal combination. Great is our Lord. Exercise legs by walks, lifts, and kick-outs every two hours until patient feels she has done enough. Stimulation is necessary to decrease any susceptibility of infection or diseases, stiffness or soreness. Praise blessed Lord Jesus, from whom all healing flow. And it's signed, Mother Anna Elizabeth Jonah Young. Anna Young was charged with aggravated child abuse, a second-degree felony in the state of Florida. A warrant for her arrest was issued, but she absconded from the state. Florida was prepared to extradite her if they could find her, and local law enforcement entities in Georgia, Louisiana, North Carolina, and Illinois were asked to assist because numbers in those states came up during telephone log searches. But at that point, Mother Anna was on the lambs. Now, one aspect of life at the House of Prayer that I have not covered much is the extent to which the living environment itself was weird and creepy and unhealthy, and that is setting aside all of the abuse for just a moment. There is something very strange about Anna marrying off her father to a young girl barely out of her teens when the man was in his 60s. Anna also ordered the mother of baby Luke to marry brother Thomas, but her motive here was purely self-serving. Anna had been repeatedly beating this child to the point that he was now gravely ill and her way to get rid of that child before he died and they ended up with another Baby K situation on their hands where the authorities were alerted was to order Elder Adam and the baby's mother to take him to Puerto Rico and abandon him. Her justification for this was that the child was half Puerto Rican and he would not look like he belonged to the couple. It's not quite clear to me why she sent Elder Adam instead of his son, Brother Thomas, to do the dirty deed, particularly if the latter was the one who would be marrying the mother of this child, but it might be due to the fact that Anna used Brother Thomas as one of her enforcers around the house of prayer. He's noted as being someone who would do some of the beating of the other cult members for Anna. Another weird, creepy aspect is how she separated the males from the females, not allowing them to interact. Anna was the arbiter of relations among the adults in the group. And nothing illustrates the extent to which this dysfunction had metastasized like cancer, better than Anna ordering a member to castrate himself. Yes, you heard that right. I said castrate himself. According to multiple members of the House of Prayer, this member had sexual relations with another member, and when Anna got wind of it, she ordered him castrated. To justify this order, she quoted the Bible, If your hand offends God, then cut it off. If your eye does, pluck it out. Well, if Anna truly believed, in that Bible verse, she would have no eyes or hands at this point. But even more telling as to the depths of this depravity and control is the fact that he actually did it. Now ask yourself if you know even one man who would cut off his own penis under any circumstances shy of being hopped up on bath salts And that will give you the answer to how brainwashed these poor people were. Not only did he do it right there at the house of prayer, his wife at the time, a nurse, assisted. Then this man was sent to one of those small shack cabins on the property to recuperate. I should note that these things that we're calling cabins were essentially storage sheds, not some kind of comfortable resting area. They were bare bones, no A.C. or running water, just a bed. Eventually, this man's condition deteriorated so much so that he was forced to seek treatment from a medical professional. He did this out of town to avoid word getting out about the injury and further raising red flags that pointed to suspicious activity at the house of prayer. I want you to think about it. Think about that house and what was going on. Did Anna, and frankly Jonah too, he's just as culpable take some kind of pleasure in knowing that on any given day there were members of this flock hidden away in cabins and rooms and cages and dark, dusty closets in that horrible, horrible place who were hungry, beaten, mentally exhausted, bleeding, burned, scarred, battered, suffering. Did Anna pause just outside their closed bedroom doors and listen to the muffled sounds of their agony? Did she like it? Was there, is there, something in her that feeds off the pain of others? And part of her M.O. was pulling other people into her deranged actions, manipulating members of the group into beating one another, children beating other children, during punishments that occurred while an entire group looked on. Incidents like having church members strip two females naked and place them in the dog cage together for an entire weekend and then have these same church members go back and hose them off when they came out, pulling other members into the depravity so they were complicit, which would eventually play on their guilt when they wanted to leave. It was something she could hold over them. And what about her husband, Jonah? Formerly Robert Davidson. She had killed his own flesh and blood. He helped cover it up, and then he stood back and watched as the same behavior and abuse and results repeated over... And over and over again. And Robert Davidson, a.k.a. Jonah Young, did nothing to stop it. Not only that, but he participated. And what about the mothers whose children were abused while at this cult, who did nothing when their children were abused? They were there, but they'd been so manipulated, so taught that Mother Anna's word was God's word, that they lived every day in fear of doing anything that might upset her. Anna was described as being completely unpredictable and moody, she could be kind and loving one moment, and incredibly cruel the next, for no apparent reason. Does she have some sort of undiagnosed personality disorder? Which, by the way, would certainly not excuse or even explain the abuse she meted out, because she knew exactly what she was doing. She chose her victims selectively. She knowingly changed not only her name, but everyone else in the church. She didn't treat her own natural children like the children she abused and killed, To this day, they all allege that they never even saw any abuse. And that's damn near impossible, at least where Kathy's concerned. Also, they're all alive. Sadly, that cannot be said for all the children from the House of Prayer or her stepchildren. And let's not forget that Anna benefited financially from every one of her victims, spending their money how she saw fit. She sent Brother James away, To live with her own relatives to keep the authorities from being able to prosecute his abuse case against her. Can you imagine how scared that kid must have been? This woman killed his sister, and then she sent him to live with her relatives. I mean, he had to be worried that she would come after him and kill him, too, right? Everything she did was with malice aforethought, which is defined by a premeditation, a conscious intent to cause harm that includes an evil and depraved state of mind and a glaring lack of concern for the well-being of others. This is the mindset of the person who had evaded capture while police continued to collect more evidence and statements. In January of 1993, the FBI showed up at the home of Anna's daughter in Georgia when they were made aware that she had been harboring Anna for some length of time. She told them that Anna came to live with her in October of 92 at her request to help her with her terminally ill father, who was Anna's first husband. Her daughter Joy was 14 years old at this time and had also been staying with her. Anna's ex-husband died in December of 1992. The daughter that had been harboring this fugitive alleged that Anna had left Georgia a month later in January and was headed back to Micanopy as far as she knew she left driving an old station wagon with Florida tags. Now, that's highly doubtful. The fact that she was going back to Micanopy because this was after she had been charged. There was a warrant out for her arrest. It's more likely that her daughter had been harboring her there knowingly, and she most certainly was not headed back to Micanopy and right into the hands of law enforcement. No, Anna Young was on the run. And years went by as police continued to track her down to no avail. She moved around a lot. She stayed underground with like-minded people who would keep her without question. In August of 98, the FBI contacted the Office of Inspector General with the Social Security Administration in Jacksonville, Florida. They were contacted to see if arrangements could be made to hold Anna Young's Social Security check so that she'd have to appear at an office to pick it up. At that time, They could not make those arrangements, and said that they did not comply with subpoenas or court orders requesting information on recipients of Social Security benefits. The only information they would give the FBI is Anna's history of name changes with the agency. In 1957, her name was changed from her maiden name, Bobo, to Elizabeth Anna McDuffie, her first marriage. Seven years later, in 1964, she changed it to Anna Rollins, her second marriage there was no record of it being changed for the third and fourth husbands, but in 1981, she requested it be changed to Anna Elizabeth Davidson. A year later, in 1982, she requested it be changed back to her maiden name, Anna Elizabeth Bobo. A year after that, in 1983, she asked that it be changed to Anna Elizabeth Young, right around the time they arrived at the House of Prayer in Micanopy. In November of 2000, the National Enquirer ran a spotlight article on the FBI's most wanted women fugitives, and a reader recognized Anna Davidson as someone she knew through an acquaintance. She directed them to where the woman was living, reportedly with a brother and a niece in Alton, Illinois. So, again, more family members harboring the known fugitive. The story noted that the Alton Police Department descended on the house at 11 p.m., on November 21st, 2000, and they searched the single-story home. At first, they were unable to find Anna, but they soon noticed a stairwell leading up to an attic. As they shouted that they were coming up, she called down that she was in the attic, and she eventually came down without a struggle. On May 31st, 2001, Anna Young pled no low contendere to one count of culpable negligence, child abuse, and was found guilty. For the crime against Nikki, Anna was sentenced to six months and 12 days in jail and then she was out and it would be well over a decade before police had enough evidence to arrest her again this time hopefully for the last time although that part of this story has not yet been written
2: she ran that boarding school for years do we know how many victims could be out there
3: you know there's no
4: telling at this point but officials say they have cold cases connected to her A trail of torturing children and a murder over the course of nearly 50 years, Jerry is hoping more victims who attended the Florida boarding school called House of Prayer will come forward so this time when the case goes to court, Young can be in prison for good.
3: Stay tuned.